0: Welcome to Cinema Holics. We're back this week for a bonus episode of a major review. We are the Major Motion Podcast, Cinema Holics, where we discuss the biggest, best films coming to theaters, streaming online, and more. And I'm John Negroni, of course, and he's Will Ashton. Hey, Will, say hi.
1: Hey. So that's uh Is that our official catchphrase, or is that just a bit you're going with?
0: Official catchphrase. I don't understand, Will, what you're talking about.
1: You say uh, this is the
0: major. The major motion, motion podcast. Yes. Yeah. Well, that, that's what we are, right? I um, mean, if you want to be sure. See, I've been saying it for a few weeks and I never, me- I never ran it by. I never mentioned it to you. But the thing was, I was like, when is Will going to say something about it? So this has been okay. an experiment sure. and it took you like three, four weeks. I mean, know? I
1: noticed I've just kind of let it slide. I know
0: you but, were but, noticing it. My thing was, when is he going to say something? Like, what is he going to like finally overcome that like meekness of like, all right, I need to mention this to John because he's doing something like yeah, I mean- up to something.
1: Is this like, are you going to keep doing it now? Or is it, I are you just waiting to- for me to say something about it?
0: I want to keep doing it. I like saying it. I, I like it because, okay, you know, you, here's my pitch. We're going to do it live on the air. Okay. Major okay, motion thanks. podcast. I think it's fun and Cinemaholics should be fun. That's my sure. Picture.
1: Yeah. Reminds me of, um. Yeah. I don't know if you ever knew this at the beginning of the show. Like when we started Cinemaholics, I was going to do a bit. Mm-hmm. And obviously this is Ryan's chorus and I, uh, gave up on, long ago but i was gonna start each episode with like a different way of saying hi be okay. like hola or like howdy and i've heard that. that
0: on so many podcasts i hate to say it
1: really yeah Where they do a different way of saying hello each time
0: yeah yeah they do well, and, well, this is
1: like 2017 so i mean I'm, I'm not saying this bit was fresh
0: i'm saying this was even even before 2017 i remember that being a thing on a few podcasts like oh how many how many different things are they gonna do to you know
1: well sorry well sorry i'm not original enough for you
0: it's okay you don't have to apologize uh it's not like i'm, I'm not, surprised uh, oh
1: <laughs> sure <laughs> i'm just kidding i don't um, have uh the original vision that someone like robert eggers has when they that's
0: true neither of watch us watch are film. we like are more, a fraction of cre- as creative as robert eggers i think that is a thousand percent the case. Like, I are we going to talk about his filmography before we discuss his new film, The Northman? Is that sure, what we're going to do? Not a long filmography, so we can go through it pretty quickly. We, we've talked about one of the movies on Cinemaholics, The Lighthouse, one of your yeah. favorite films of 2019. If not your favorite, might have been your number one if I'm, uh,
1: no, it wasn't my number one, but was I do think Bloody Nose Empty Pockets. No, that was 2020 um 2019 okay. i think i think i put like marriage story or something in 2019 oh uh, yeah maybe
0: it was marriage story okay which lighthouse i mean there, in
1: retrospect I? I mean i like that movie a lot but mm-hmm. in retrospect i mean i'd probably put lighthouse in my top five like i know i had i think i had like number eight i'd probably put it like five or four you know what i'm gonna look like it back. up right
0: now because like we're here right what we have sure. the internet let's just do it um because I, I always keep track of this stuff yeah because uh, every every time we do these like cinemaholics like rankings and all this stuff I always keep like a little record just for me and just for these moments, you know. Um, so I'm going to look for that. While I look for that, we uh, we we didn't talk about the witch together, right? That was 2016 because we, you weren't. Yeah. I think we talked about it now conspiring that podcast, but I, yeah, I don't think you were around.
1: You and me? Oh, you just mean you were like and your co-hosts were talking about right. it, right?
0: Like okay. I think I might have talked about like with Adonis Maria, like those folks, and um, I think I was probably well, I was one of the bigger fans of it. I don't remember where people landed. So I don't want to speak for anybody else. Yeah, I uh, mean,
1: uh big Sundance hit. Yeah. Um, you know, that came out in 2015 or premiered 2015, but didn't come out until like a year later. But that was a prime A24 style hit where, hmm. like, by any conventional measures, that is not a mainstream hit type of film. But they were <laughs> yeah. si- uh, smart in how they marketed it and how they appealed to an audience with that film they got like a very wide audience for it, which is it, you know it, it was launch, one of those
0: it yeah. helped launch Anya taylor Joy's career
1: absolutely yeah turned her into a star uh yeah. but it was you know like one of those movies where it's like can art house movies really kind of transcend the art house into the mainstream that was like beginning of that right. kind of conversation the witch was certainly one of those films that sparked the conversation and the lighthouse did to a certain extent though that movie
0: mm, i'd say uh, at a least lesser extent
1: yeah, commercially that didn't um hit the same height. So I,
0: I think I prefer the lighthouse over the witch overall. I'm not quite sure where you stand. I prefer The Witch, uh because i and I, I think both movies are extraordinary and I think they're both quite good. I mean, I remember my theatrical experience of watching The Witch was just such a <laughs> it was just such like a game changer for me as somebody who was certainly like I was not as into elevated horror folk tales you know cuz like we we had gotten stuff like the Babadook duke at that point we had gotten it follows you know one of my favorite films of the previous year But in terms of like this sort of like a twenty four, let's sort of take the uh, you know the Puritan or like take a a fable or something like that and just really like amp it up in terms of the not just the horror but the unsettling, creeping atmosphere. That's something that I think The Witch really you know helped pave the way for in uh, the next few years to follow. And I appreciate Eggers because he goes from The Witch, which I I just personally enjoy because I just like that story a bit more and I like that world a bit more. But I think like The Lighthouse is just such a great follow up to it. it. It's just so like bold of him to be like. Now we're going to do something in black and white. We're going to tackle a totally different topic, but it's still absolutely his signature vision. I, I just think that's like a, one of the best ways for him to like sort of like the next step of his career. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. going to say because I, I looked it up. Okay, here we go. Okay, you write that married story was your number one. The lighthouse was number seven. I think yeah. I had the, for you the lighthouse switched with midsummer because I knew you had midsummer up there too. Oh. You had midsummer as your number two. Uh, was that number two or is that number three? It's number two. I'm looking at it okay. right now. What you want you three? want me to run it by like your, your sure. top ten of 2019? Let's do it. The listeners right. might for, might have forgotten we did. Um, <laughs> so you had Ad Astra at ten okay good pick you had climax at nine which i still right. found kind of weird i thought climax would be like in your top five um but you know uh, i don't know why you'd think that but me neither. Okay. but uh, <laughs> well no because i thought you liked it a lot more than other i films did that it's year, in but... the top 10 uh, okay and then number eight <laughs> we i'm uh, same as me we both had us the jordan okay. peele film in number eight and then you had the lighthouse at seven long day's journey into night at six uncut gems at five Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood at four. Once upon a time in Hollywood, at three, Midsummer at two, and marriage story at one. Good year for movies, man. That was a, Oh yeah,
1: no, that was that was a good year. I didn't even have year. like Knives Out or I mean there were a bunch of movies that year Farewell. I thought I might have had Farewell and talked I had I
0: farewell. I think I remember you were waffling between like yeah. I think farewell and your number ten. Yeah. Ad Astra.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I think I would still pick Ad Astra over that. But I don't know. Like I really like. Oh, you probably, like
0: Long, ooh, you probably would have had Portrait of a Lady on Fire on there too. You oh oh yeah, the, I hadn't seen mm-hmm. it by the yeah, I would have had that on there. Um, And you didn't have Parasite, which was like, I remember a source of consternation.
1: Yeah, no, I've definitely grown more on Parasite. I mean, I really liked it at the time. I just wasn't sure if it was like a top 10 film. But, you know, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, yeah, that was.
0: The thing I like about your top 10s, Will, is like they always feel like you. Like they never feel like, you know, just the sort of expected, you know, film critic bro sort of curation, if that makes sense. Yeah, I was kind of surprised how many horror movies I put in there that year. It's good. Good time, Castle, right? Sure. Okay, so uh, we talked about The Witch and The Lighthouse. Again, yeah, I mean, you liked The Lighthouse more than me, but I certainly liked it. I I guess I just, something was missing for The Lighthouse with me. I don't know. I I loved Mm -hmm. the concept. I loved the execution, the black and white. I I loved the framing of it, how boxy and uncomfortable it was. Robert Pattinson, my gosh, like, what a year for him. He had that movie in High Life and Uncut. Not Uncut Gems. I was thinking of Good Time. Uh, but no, he had those two movies. But yeah. uh, Willem Dafoe, I mean, it, honestly, like, looking at The Lighthouse, there's no, like, flaw or anything where I'm just like, well, this is the thing that brings oh, yeah. the film down for it. Like, there's nothing like that. I think it just comes down to The Lighthouse. I just, you know, the movie ended. I walked out of the theater. I was like, man, that was a really cool movie. And it just, it, it didn't do anything else to me. But I think it did to you, right?
1: Oh, yeah. No, I mean, uh, I think they're kind of one of the same coin as far as, like the witch is this very feminine story. It's a feminist tale and the, the lighthouse is more of a, like uh goofy kind of, like you said, horror based tale of like masculinity and like this kind of pent up masculinity as you're suggesting.
0: Wasn't the witch also about masculinity, like the oppression of masculinity. All all three of them are
1: about masculinity. Yeah. Uh, but I mean more directly. So I guess, but, um, yeah, I don't know. For me, I mean, like, I like the white or I like the witch. Um, I certainly have grown to like it more uh, upon reflection as well, though I feel like the witch is film where it's like I like it. I can clearly see his vision, his sense of scope, like, you know, his his reverence for a time period the way he can make it really come to life again That's so it's all apparent in that film and the groundwork is there but i feel like with the lighthouse there is like a greater sense of mm. command and more confidence as a filmmaker he's more willing to get audacious and funny and weird with it in that film and i feel like it is a true like step up not yeah. to say anything against the witch i like the witch i, I do but i feel like the lighthouse like okay like the Witch is good. The Lighthouse, where it's like, OK, truly Eggers is on the path to being a phenomenal filmmaker. And I think that trend continues with his latest film.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely don't disagree with your framing there, right? Like, even though I come away from it slightly different, I think that's all true. But yeah, I think um, one thing about Eggers that I think can sometimes be construed as like a flaw. With his films is that sometimes I, I saw a little bit of this with uh, the Northman, you know, we'll we'll get into the Northman in a sec. We'll set it up for you listeners. But, you know, the, I saw a, little, a few criticisms around the Northman being like, yeah, you know, I, I just feel like uh, this Alexander Star- Skarsgård performance. I like I, I just didn't feel like the soul of the character. I, I didn't feel like I understood him or like he's just so quiet. Not enough dialogue really illuminates who he is. I think one thing that Eggers is really good at is he he could have made a bomber of a silent film because I think one thing that he's really good about is capturing the, the spectrum, the whole side of a character through silent expression. Um, sure. Because that is very much one of my favorite things about the lighthouse. I think that like most of the acting is happening from the, the nonverbal side of mm-hmm. those performances, especially with Pattinson. Um, but yeah. also, def- I, I think you could just see those two characters mm-hmm. gliding along that story as it gets more and more insane. And it's way less about what's not said than what is said. And I think that carries over into the Skarsgård performance. And I think for some people, it's a bit of a hill to climb. They might look at that and be like, I want, you know, a little bit more of like a crystallization sort of moment that that gets that across. But I, I got to give it up to Eggers because I think that's actually a feature. I like that his films are that accomplished, right, in terms of like not silent films that are kind of like silent films.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. A, a student- a film I mean but as you suggested someone who is able to take all these influences from classic literature from different key niche points of interest uh, like you said uh, like films going back to German expressionism or like you said silent film certainly his love of Nosferatu a passion Mm -hmm. project for his that he's I think was going to do next or is trying to do next I know there's a bit of a stumbling block with that one according to a recent interview but certainly I feel like that's all well apparent and I uh certainly agree with you as far as uh alex sarsgar's performance in this film I, I i actually think it's a little bit more subtle and more pronounced than i think some people are giving it credit
0: you should say too i mean like let's let's take a look at eggers himself um you know let's do a gq profile on him i guess i don't know uh he co-wrote this new film uh like he co-wrote the lighthouse he didn't co-write the witch but uh the lighthouse he co-wrote with max eggers Uh, familiar last name right i think that's his brother and then he co-wrote the northman with sion i don't know if i'm pronouncing that correctly but uh sion is like an icelandic novelist and poet yeah and uh frequently collaborates with bjork who is in this film uh briefly i think bjork just had like what one scene um yeah
1: cameo but very good in it
0: yeah yeah really cool really cool moment in the movie but uh yeah (laughs) eggers how old do you think eggers is do you know how old this guy is uh well i did
1: I was gonna mention I read that New Yorker profile where they kind of talk
0: about him. Oh okay. I didn't read that. As thing. I think they said he was like thirty-eight. Thirty-eight years old, yeah. Isn't that crazy? And I, I think the uh the witch, right, takes place in New England. He's a New Hampshire born guy. So like that kind of, you know, we, we've we certainly seen that he has a sort of like Atlantic, you know, sort of uh, mid-Atlantic slash New England um, attention or focus in his movies. All three of his movies are kind of based around that, right? Because like Lighthouse is kind of like the Atlantic. And then uh, I forget, was it like Maine or something or Massachusetts? It was, it was something along New the New Hampshire was the, coast, the, right?
1: the setting of um, The Witch, right? Even I, I they don't remember in, exactly. In the UK, the set, right?
0: It was the Puritan. Yeah, yeah. Right. Mean, it was around that area. Sure. Um, yeah. I don't think it was like Vermont, I guess, but it could have been Massachusetts and I could just be forgetting. But uh, yeah. And then the Northmen, that's when we're getting into like the Icelandic sort of, okay, now we're in another country, but it's, I don't know, it's of a piece, right? It's like the ance—the ancestors of like a lot of those people, I guess. I don't know. Uh, I'm kind yeah, of certainly. spewing no, pseudo history.
1: <laughs> no, I know. It's like that sort of like almost like colloquial version or like, like sort of almost like a primal in this case humanity like this like there are like there's like a sense of ritual place and time Mm. but it's almost like primal in this case like this sense of like colonies haven't fully been formed like you know like there's like a a real sense of danger that's in this film that i really like a lot
0: so yeah let's talk about stuff yeah yeah uh this is definitely his biggest budget film by a mile and a half uh the northman is it's his first blockbuster Uh, i think Mm -hmm. it's safe to call it a blockbuster its budget is big enough to deem it as such oh yeah i mean almost
1: 100 million dollars (laughs) man
0: like yeah that's not a blockbuster i mean (laughs) (laughs) right yeah uh yeah like i was looking at it it's like it's there's no official reporting that i'm seeing it's uh, a range between 70 and 90 million dollar budget so yeah definitely in that realm which Um, is a lot of money mm -hmm. for a non ip you know movie right well i mean
1: certainly i think you could call the scandinavian story that's based on maybe like a a true ip like one of the first like <laughs> one of the OG true, ip <laughs> you know viking lores to pull from if you really want to get technical with it is, but, that, uh, yeah, is that the nothing. subtitle
0: of this episode the northman d-o-g-i-p
1: <laughs> <laughs> d-o-g-i-p uh if you want to i mean that's up to you
0: yeah we got it we got to beat it somehow um So what we're alluding to there is The Northmen is based on a Scandinavian folktale about a character named Amleth, Amleth. If that sounds familiar, it's because it helped inspire, I think mostly inspired, Shakespeare's Hamlet which would come many many years later. So we we are talking about one of the like foundational western stories, right? Like this story takes place in uh, 895 or something. Um so clearly like way before the renaissance period, way before Shakespeare's time and again, pseudo history. I'm doing my best here, but uh a lot of people recognize the Hamlet story. That's the one that was more famous, the one more spread about, you know, in America uh, and in our time. Um, obviously, stuff like the Lion King has been, you know, one of our major sort of touchstones of that story um, for the more current generations. Sure. So it's kind of funny. You I know, mean, Ro- Robert Eggers is going back to the the original.
1: Yeah. Was that ever confirmed, though, with Lion King? Or that was always just speculated? That was based
0: on Hamlet? Yeah. I mean, it was clearly based on Hamlet and like Kemba, right? And... Right. Yeah, I think but that's I never, pretty undeniable. Well, sure. But
1: I mean, I know they were pretty secretive about the the Kimbo thing. Like, they didn't want to, like, draw those comparisons. But I mean, I mean, I just never knew if they ever officially,
0: like, the directors were ever like, oh, yeah, we took from Hamlet or whatever. I that mean, they can if they, w- they can say whatever they want. I mean, you just watch the movie is the evidence. Sure. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. But I no, mean, I mean,
1: like, certainly, yeah. Hamlet, I mean, it's anagram of uh, Hamlet, right?
0: You know, like, they all the same layers to switch around. So. Yeah, yeah. So, it's yeah. Uh, just about yeah um, i think i think it just has like an h in it and that's the only but uh yeah but well, if, yeah so if you know the story of him like, yeah. if you know the story of lion king the northmen that's kind of where it begins right like it, it's not fully like that story beat for beat but it's pretty close uh it takes place in uh, i think iceland right and so we follow a viking king played by ethan Hawke. his name in the movie is king aru Warraven. war raven i don't know how to pronounce these things Correctly, and I saw conflicting things. Like some of it said, like, "Oh, this is Iceland." Other places saw, like, "No, maybe this is more like Irish, like the Irish coasts, and like this is just where they've set up like a kingdom." I don't know a hundred percent. I'm going to say right now, um, I don't know a ton about Vikings. Um, I, I My well, Viking knowledge—I I didn't watch the show Vikings, and right. like I know Norse mythology because of Thor. But like, yeah, sure. I'm not. I'm not super. I'm gonna, I might say a few incorrect things, so I apologize in advance.
1: Yeah, my. Uh... Pool of uh, Viking lore and history is admittedly limited as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm seeing here that uh, apparently uh, part of this. Part of this movie does take place in Iceland, but where the, the kingdom itself is apparently is the Irish coast. So uh, I'm going to stick with that for now. But essentially, we follow Ethan Hawke's uh, king in the very beginning. He has a young son in this movie. Uh, I forget the act, the young actor's name. I, don't, I didn't recognize him from anything else. Um, Oscar Novak. That's what I'm seeing here. Uh, and he is uh, the Simba of the story, right? He's Hamlet. He's like, oh, you know, my father is like the king. And then there's like a plot to overthrow his father um before we get to all that stuff we also get to know the uh well first of all the uncle the evil uncle as we will get to uh know further is Fjellner, played by clays bang and then we have nicole kidman who plays his mother and then we have willem dafoe as uh this character named hymir who's considered like a he's like hymir the fool essentially and I, i gotta get something out of the way will because you know i i had a little bit of an issue with uh one thing one thing um With this movie, uh, that's a me issue. I had a hard time understanding some of the dialogue. I really want to rewatch this movie with subtitles because it was just hard for me to catch what they were saying. I don't know if it was the mixing. I don't know if it was the theater. But there were a few things that, like, I just totally missed. And I was like, wait. And I wasn't sure if that was me or if it was, like, like, if it was a tragedy in Macbeth situation or if it was just sort of, like the sound issue, but if I was able to read things, maybe it would have been easier for me to get like, Oh, that's why that character is doing that. That's why that character is capable of doing that. Um, did, what what do you think?
1: Uh, I don't remember directly having issue with the dialogue, but I mean, I I feel like the movie itself avoids being, Dialogue focus is more obviously about the visuals and communicating what's saying visually, uh, just by nature of Egger's style, like we said, being so keenly influenced by German expressionism and silent films and the like. So, uh, I mean, I never had an issue following the story. Also, just the fact that the general story, you know, kind of follows that uh, well established template going back to the Scandinavian legend itself. So, yeah. Uh, I don't think there's ever a point where I was like lost or confused outside of like,
0: yeah, like I was never lost was, or confused. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying, I think I was, I think there were just some world building details that I might've just missed, even though like, yeah, for sure I could follow like what the characters were feeling. There were so many context clues and things like that. But yeah, I guess it, there were just some little minor things of like some of the rituals, some of the, you know, what, why they were doing certain things in certain scenes that I was a little bit like, i I was a little confused, but I wasn't like, Baffled or anything like that. I could kind of pick up on the idea. Okay, cool. So, um, okay, uh, and then, yeah, uh, we follow uh, the Oscar Novak essentially escapes an attempt on his life. Uh, His uncle Fjorn takes over and we kind of catch up with him later as uh, Alexander Skarsgård, grown up. And that's kind of where the movie really picks up. That's where we kind of follow him as like a Viking raider. Uh, I think that's where the story takes place in Iceland. And he's just this brutal, you know, man's man who's still like fixated on one day avenging his father and saving his mother. And then he might get a chance to do that. He eventually runs in with Anya Taylor-Joy, her character Olga. Who is like, I think so, supposed to be some sort of a witch or sorceress or clairvoyant. Like there was something with her character in that respect that I didn't fully understand. But uh, again, I might need subtitles. Uh, but yeah, he, she kind of uh, goes along with him on a mission to avenge his family. So yeah, well, this is a, quite a movie. It's it's unlike anything I think people are going to see. It's not PG-13. You know, it's a blockbuster action movie where there is blood. There, there's a lot of the intensity. There's a lot of violence and it's really well made. It struck me as like, what if Alexander Inaritu made a good movie? That's, that's my sort of explanation for, sorry, I'm trying to be mean um, to why do Alexander Inaritu. <laughs> uh,
1: not to get sidetracked, but why do people get, why do you have, why is that always like a thing where people like make fun of Inaritu? Like I get like some things like he's, yeah, I don't know. It just like, he's like always like a punching bag.
0: Oh. I, I don't know why he's a punching bag. I'm just gonna speak for me. I just I think that he is not a is very it, good filmmaker.
1: But okay. he
0: has I, a, I think Deacons and mm-hmm. Lubesky, uh I think mainly was it is it really Lubeski? I think Deacons actually. I think Deacons is what is the person who really makes his films have as much personality and uh awesomeness as they do. But
1: uh I think, is I think It's Lubesky, okay. Uh well he shot his last two films at least. Uh if I was thinking about of Birdman and yeah. the Revenant. Okay. Um but yeah, I don't. Know. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, he, is he a bit of a try hard? Sure. But I generally I, I feel like I've liked almost all of his films that I've seen. So I don't really get the mm. why people are always so tough on him. But I get I was thinking a lot of The Revenant in this film. And I was thinking, like, even though I like that movie well enough, I was thinking, like, this is kind of the the feel I wanted from The Revenant. Certainly another revenge film, another film where it's like, you know. Being in the element, seeing actors like roughing them up in the mud and, you know, being out for bloodlust and revenge. I, I think this movie is better at kind of communicating that in a way that, you know, I I, I really love that um, Edgar's style is able to blend these sort of like. Uh, mythical and with the like ethereal, or in, in, in like with this like sense of like, ethereal? there is this really, was it? Ethereal. Yeah, sorry. Uh, like this sort of like grounded, you know, very real heavy aesthetic with something that also has like this sort of like mysticism and the sense of like you're in like a sort of like supernatural realm at the same time and those blending of two elements I think really came alive here in some really key ways I think that you know makes the text really come to life and feel singular to his style and like I said before I was saying that uh, I feel like this movie what really justifies is you're saying like it's a big blockbuster it's a big film that you know costs almost 100 million dollars it's clear a lot of money went into this but it feels very singular to Robert Eggers like it feels like a movie that he made is from his vision it is a natural extension of his style and to me that's what I find really inspiring and refreshing and ultimately very entertaining and rewarding about this film for sure
0: yeah I I think if I have a criticism of this film I'll weigh it against the thing I really like about it I think my main criticism is that uh, there are certain aspects of the plot that I think are just a little bit too straightforward in like the final act I guess I just sort of, uh, I don't know, by the time we get to that point in the movie, it started to feel less Eggers to me. Um, I think like that, that subversion, that's sort of like what he can do with this and maybe say something different, kind of, kind of I don't know, went down an expected route. And I don't know, maybe that's the limitations of the folklore. But uh, I think that is, at the same time, weighed against that. he He takes a straightforward story and he tells it in a not straightforward way. I think like it's a brilliant move to kind of going off of what you're saying about the supernatural stuff to sort of uh, get across this idea that essentially like we we could sort of speculate that the, the Viking mythology, the Norse mythology, the idea of like Valkyries and Valhalla and all this stuff was absolutely drug fueled and, you know, sort of like setting up the, the brutality of that life as something of, like, these people were on all kinds of, like, heavy stuff in order to, like, cope with their realities, with their brutal realities. I saw some criticisms of this film that I, I heavily disagree with. Like, people kind of being like, I, I can't root for this character. I can't um, feel something for this character because he's apathetic, you know, toward the suffering of others. You know, there there's a whole, like, pill, like, a pillaging scene in this movie where he just, like doesn't care that like other kids that were in the same position as him are getting like swept up and killed um, because of something because of his actions. And I'm kind of looking at that and I'm like, if, if Eggers had tried to do that, if he tried to shoehorn this character who like has like a conscience and has a morality, a, it would be a different story. It wouldn't be this story. Uh, and it, I think that it would be shoehorning in, an element of morality that I don't think this character has. And I don't think we need to follow. I think we keep having this discussion. We don't need to follow pure white characters. Uh, I say pure white, like snow, white, you know, snow. And I'm not talking about like uh, racial stuff, but I'm talking about like these characters that have to be like, Oh, well they have like a morality that we can connect with. We would, it, it's just sort of like trying to put our modern sensibilities into this story. And I just don't think that would serve the story. I think it would come off as inauthentic and it would ring super false. So I appreciate this. I think people are like thinking that it's an endorsement or something or of like, you know, we're going to be like washing ourselves in this like violence and like enjoying it. It's like, no, we're watching a tragic figure. Like it's a it's like the idea of like if you're reading a history lesson, you're just getting the history of it, like the brutality and the horrible stuff that went on. You're not getting this sort of painted like maybe they felt this way. Maybe they felt bad for the people. No, that's not doing any of that.
1: Yeah, I mean, with Eggers, I feel like he seems to really be a type of guy or type of filmmaker that like sort of follows his gut. But like, he has like a very deep reverence for history. Like he goes to painstaking lengths to like make this historically accurate and feel a peace with its time. But at the same time, like in terms of like story crafting and how he tells a story, for what I can gather, like he feels like it's very much like, I'm kind of following, like, the dream I had in my mind. Like, I'm just like, whatever I feel is right for the story, that's where I'm going to take it. And I know in that New Yorker piece I read that he was saying that, like, when people are like, oh, like, the witch was such a revolutionary feminist text. He's like, well, I'm glad you got that. But it's like, that wasn't really actually my intent. Or, like, you saying thing with, like, oh, like, the lighthouse is like this, you know... Brutal sort of funny take on toxic masculinity It's like, well, now I can see that when you point that out. But like, I was just kind of following what I felt was true to like what that story was supposed to be. And that's something I find really fascinating about him and something I kept in mind when I was watching The Northman. As far as like, it seems like he just kind of follows like what he feels is true. And that kind of adds naturally to that sort of like you said or like what I said that like sort of mysticism or like that dream like quality where it's just like there is a sort of seamless blend between the supernatural and the like nature and elements of uh, reality and just that balance of the two is something that
0: I just find to be really sort of intoxicating under his vision yeah I I want to point that point out something based on what you said there right this idea that like he didn't intend you know, for these movies to be about what they're about. And I think that's, that's totally like, if he's saying that, I think that's valid and true, but I do want to make it clear for people who might like, you know, not be as familiar with the creative process, um, or maybe they are, and they're just kind of like, well, what is it? Right. We all have like worldviews. We all have kind of like, you you know, you, you write down like on a sheet of paper, what you think about certain things when you create things, it's going to show up there, even if you don't intend it. Like these stories about like like what he really believes about certain things, if he's feeling it out as he's writing these movies or co-writing these movies and making them, he has like these points of view as he sort of like, you know, as he is claiming like sort of improvising where things go. Obviously, like who you are, what you believe, all that stuff influences what you think is a good idea for like where a story will go, why a character will do something, who is that character and why do they believe what they believe? And so... What I like about Eggers in that respect is that he just seems to have a point of view about masculinity, about machismo, about human beings in general that is this, I think, realistic blend of amoral, immoral, and moral. And I think it's very fascinating to see how he plays them out in these like sandboxes he's created. I think that a lot of directors where they can sometimes falter, especially when they're also writing the film, is that sometimes you just get this sense that like there is no cohesion between like what the director really believes and what is coming out on the screen. Cause that happens a lot. That's why we don't like studio interference when that becomes an issue, when it just feels like it's a committee sort of developing the, the points of view of that film you just don't really get that with Eggers it just seems to be like he had a lot of control over you know how where this stuff really lands now I personally I know there were some rumors people were saying like oh is there a director's cut uh, some people were claiming like he might he might have wanted to be a little bit longer with some extra stuff thrown in he's kind of denied that but I kind of wonder you know it could there could be truth to that right there could be like some extra things well, that might have been taken out because of the run time right sure I, I imagine
1: his like initial cuts were just probably like longer maybe a little bit more like lethargic like maybe a little bit more right. like seeped into the wool you know what i mean and by his admission he said like this is the most entertaining version of the film like he's not ashamed of it He's not like he's it's not like he's like josh trank where he's like this is not my cut or whatever coming out and being like against the film like he's proud of it and i think he he said that to sort of avoid that kind of conversation as if like he's dissatisfied with the studio or whatever and i i don't get that sense if he says otherwise later on i don't know but um from what i can tell it seems like he just he's trying to make sure that he, he makes it clear like if I could produce a longer version, sure, why not? Like, I mean, you know, it may not be exactly like 100% what I had in mind from the from the get-go, but this version of the film is not like a lesser version of that. And so, I mean, certainly I would I have admired it if he could have gone deeper with that? Sure, but I
0: think the film really works on its own terms as it is. Yeah, I think it works on its own terms. Um, I know there's a question right now about accessibility, right? It's like, who, who's going to be able to watch this and get the most out of it? Obviously, oh, yeah. the same in the a Marvel film, You know, this isn't a PG-13 superhero blockbuster. The whole family can go out and Mm -hmm. enjoy.
1: Yeah. No, I was just going to say, before I forget, kind of going Mm -hmm. back to your one point, um, I feel like those ideas, like if he tried to enforce the like modern ideas, I think what I find telling about like him incorporating those sort of almost like incidentally is that like I feel like the movie becomes more modern because he's just like telling the story he wants to tell. Then those ideas start to come up because like you said, they're in his mind, but he just may not realize until like it's laid out in the text. I feel like if he had like been conscious of that and been like, oh, I have to have a scene where he's like protective or does something, it's like that's just going to backfire because like, well, what if he's like right. a white savior then or whatever? I just I feel like what he's doing is already working on its own
0: terms. I'm not quite sure what people are complaining about. But I just want to say that before I forgot. I, I think sometimes, you know, some pe- people have different approaches to how they review a film. You know, some people will meet like we're saying, like they'll meet a film on its own terms. They will sort of say, like, "You know what, look, this movie doesn't perfectly coincide with every little thing that I believe about things. uh Some people are a little bit more balanced on it. Some people are like, "You know I, I, there are things about this movie that I really enjoy. there's some things about the theming and the messaging that i I couldn't get on board with, and so I have a few issues you know in that regard. I think that's where most people probably land, like people who do this professionally and I think some people go maybe a little bit too far, a little bit of like, we shouldn't take any of that stuff into consideration. you know it doesn't matter it's like, no, this stuff does matter." you know there there are certain things you can put into a film that you know well or undermine what you're you know what you're trying to say about the film that can come off as scattered and and barbaric and and uh, regressive right like there's a total balance to this stuff uh, i think with this movie i think it's a really good balance i, I think that it actually there's enough to chew on here where you can't just be like, you can't just explain the whole sort of uh, what this movie is and why it is in like a couple of sentences. Like it, it's something you kind of have to unpack. And uh, I think that exercise is good because you can certainly get a lot of different interpretations out of a text like this. Now, I'm making it sound like this film is a, some sort of like detailed, lore focused, uh, you know, like super, super cerebral movie. It isn't. It really it, It's just kind of fun. It's kind of a blast of a movie. It's just very epic and very bloody and intense. There's just like stuff in the in betweens that are, those are the things that fascinated me the most. The action set pieces are really uh, obviously well done. They keep the movie moving where I think. I was getting a little. I, mean, I was getting a little bit like this is uh, not slowing down, but I, I thought there was a, a little bit less of like a rising action to the film. Where I feel like we felt like we were escalating to better and better stuff. It started to feel like it was sort of going like on an even plane of just like of stuff that it was really exciting. Don't get me wrong, like really intense action still, but it was never quite like stepping it up upon itself in certain moments, especially with that early pillaging scene. I think that one is just like such a like landmark of the film and very few stuff that happens after it kind of ever comes to its level. Um, so at least for me, when I was, I was sort of like expecting or hoping for a little bit more of a ramping up, didn't quite get that, which I, I, you know, I, I'm sure some people would be like, that's fine. That's not what I really wanted from this movie, but what did you think? Um, Hmm.
1: Well, maybe we will have to discuss spoilers because I I find (laughs) that there's some stuff in the end that's really fascinating and kind of subverts my expectations. Certainly... Uh, one scene with Nicole Kidman in particular, but even more so another scene with Anya Taylor-Joy, where I feel like the movie is casually sort of subversive in what it's saying there. Not that it doesn't play out in the way you would expect, but it suggests something that I found a little bit more uh, resonant that I think maybe I expected going into it. But I do agree. I, I think there is a fear and maybe this is something that we really should stress because I, it might turn some people off from seeing the film. Is that like it's not like this like. It's not like watching homework or something like you, do, you don't have to like have like a deep knowledge of Viking lore or anything like that to really appreciate the film. I think on its own terms, it's actually really entertaining and, you know, I, 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 more commercial, certainly than I think anything I would have expected from Robert Eggers based on his previous two films. But what I find so impressive and so rewarding is that it is able to be very true to his style, but able to also be accessible to a wide audience is to, su- to suggest that he can, you know, find that balance in a way that I honestly didn't even expect from the witch
0: or the lighthouse. I saw some marketing for this movie, likening it to this generation's gladiator. I just wanted to get your quick read on that. What, what do you think? Cause a gladiator also a kind of, you know, big deal of a film for a cert for like grown-ups, I guess, <laughs> uh, grown up audiences, kind of a throwback and also kind of a film about revenge. Um, i don't know what do you think what do you think about that comparison
1: uh i mean i get it but it's also kind of superficial i feel you okay what that's mean? what i
0: was thinking but i
1: was i kind of wanted to get your take <laughs> weirdly <laughs> this like, movie reminds you me, can't really
0: compare these movies
1: yeah i don't know weirdly it reminds me more of like apocalypto
0: really if, huh. yeah
1: have you seen apocalypto
0: yeah i'm not i'm not sure what you're picking up on there but uh i guess it's to some degree but uh, i okay i i think where we can you know certainly I I was kind of starting with this point earlier. I kind of forgot about it, but um, I, I think it's interesting that a movie like this is coming out with such a big budget when we're in this weird sort of like new normal for action blockbusters where a lot of them have to be like superhero. They have to be part of like these big temple franchises. This is not a temple franchise. We were joking about the IP thing earlier, but it's not a movie that's marketed based on your familiarity with this viking character right Uh, this isn't like a movie where you see it and you're just like i know what that is i know exactly what to expect i know that you know i mean it does have the hamlet story but i don't think that that, that's like a plot thing right that's not a sort of like i know these characters already you know and it's also not like oh you know we're gonna watch the end credit scene and see what the next three movies are gonna be about and that's what we've gotten used to that's what's making money right now in the Hollywood system. Um, so I'm kind of, you know, watching this movie and I'm not expecting it to do amazingly well. It's going to be hitting this weekend and we'll see. I mean, it, it's already out in some territories. I think it's, it's made a few, you know a handful of a million bucks. Um, I don't know. Do you see this being in a success, a success, or do you see this being sort of like an outlier of like, yeah, this is one of those movies that's just like, not like the other movies that are coming out. And there's that. Uh,
1: Well, I mean, I have no idea if this is going to be, Commercially successful. I would hope it is. I mean, it seems like, generally speaking, like people I've talked to, not even just critics, like general audiences that I've talked to or heard about who have seen the film already, because it's already came out like in the UK and outside the US. So it is kind of gradually out already, which I think is one reason why we were uh, keen on doing this review a little bit early. But um, I. It, I think it has an audience. I think people, if they are willing to watch it, will like it and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Maybe even more so than they anticipate. But I don't know if that's going to uh, translate to being a full out, like whatever it needs to make to be a complete success, like $200 million uh, triumph or whatever, $200 million triumph. I would hope so. I mean, I certainly would love if this became... A huge hit because I want a movie like this to succeed because it's like that balance, like we said, of uh, something that is so grand, so like commercially accessible, but also very singular to one filmmaker, something that doesn't feel like you said, beholden to a studio or a team of executives dictating all the decisions that go into it it feels like a natural extension of a filmmaker using their uh vision to make something that is true to themselves but also able to reach a broad audience and have a big canvas to play in and i would like to see other filmmakers i like have this opportunity if they want to s- pursue it but I don't know I mean I just really hope people seek it out that's why I, i've been really making a point of champion as much as possible. And, uh, I mean, you know, we're playing at the art house where I work and it's kind of a weird thing where it's like, you know, we don't usually play blockbusters, but it feels more appropriate than usual like film. And it's like that nice marriage of art house and, uh, you know, big studio fair. And I would love to see more movies like that come to the fold and be, accessible and as good as I feel as this movie is but will that translate I have no idea my cynic brain would say probably not but that optimistic side of my brain is also kind of like maybe hopefully I sure would like it to be so we'll see
0: yeah I'm kind of there with you with the cynic brain because this isn't this isn't a24 this is focus features and i I think Focus Features has had a hit or miss record. We're trying to get like these these sort of big movies making big money, and I think A twenty four has too, obviously. But I think that they've probably had they've found ways to make things like Midsummer and Hereditary, you know, marketable successes uh, through the marketing, like finding that audience. Like you're saying, projection wise, right now, it, this movie is only expected to gross five to ten million dollars in its opening weekend, and yeah, for a budget this big, I it's the writing on the wall for this is saying like this might be a pretty sizable flop. Um, I hope that's not the case, but I mean, we are looking at, it has about two weeks to itself in terms of like its audience before, you know, we get like Dr. Strange and that's just going to suck up all the oxygen out of these movie theaters, uh, like quite literally with all like the theater rooms that it's probably going to dominate. Uh, you know, next week is kind of a, it's a slew of sleepy releases and this is competing with the unbearable weight of massive talent and the bad guys and other family films. So it's not like it's going to have like a ton of space to itself ever. So I think I think it's a weird time to release this movie, too. You know, um, but we'll have to wait and see. I guess I, I'm i not feeling good about it. And I, I, I that makes me sad because <laughs> I want this to be uh, a really successful movie. I should also then mention, by the way, Universal has the international rights. So we'll see how the international box office does, at least.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think the writing is totally on the wall for it to be a, a flop because it's, you know, still coming out and i mean you know it, it has the opportunity to maybe not be uh, a huge hit but maybe not be an outright flop but yeah i don't know i mean i would be more inclined to assume it's not going to be a huge hit but i want it to be a hit because i want movies yeah. like this to keep going certainly yeah, so same here yeah, and I, w- I would love Eckers, you know keep doing his thing though he seems maybe potentially discouraged from doing blockbusters after his experience which is unfortunate but not the uh, end of his career, certainly. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. I don't know. But I say if you can see it, by all means, seek it out on the biggest screen you can.
0: I'm curious what he's going to do next, you know, because I haven't uh, heard about him slating any projects for the upcoming, you know, next uh, few years. Yeah. I haven't heard anything.
1: Yeah, I mean the big thing was just that Nosferatu remake, which might have fallen through. I was gonna, I know Anya Taylor Joy has been attached for a long time. I guess apparently Harry Styles was also attached, and he f- dropped out of the project for whatever reason. So that's been a stumbling block for that project. But I don't know. I hope whatever he wants to do, whatever he chooses yeah. to do next, I hope it comes together.
0: Yeah, I think I think the, the troublesome thing for Eggers is that the witch people. You know how producers in Hollywood are. They, they just look at the numbers. They don't look at the critic scores necessarily. Like, they look at The Witch and they're like, okay, yeah, that made like what, like 50, $40, $50 million off of like a 4 or $5 million budget. It was a huge, huge success. But then Lighthouse made way less, right? And so, and The Lighthouse cost more. It was like, I think like, what, like $10, $11 million budget. And it still made some money, probably, depending on the marketing budget. But I think it, it made like a little less than $20 million. And so, that's like a huge, huge like drop down. And then with the Northman, I don't know, will even, even if you're, you know, gracious with it, let's say like after marketing and everything like that, this would need to gross like something like 120 million, maybe like 115 million. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know. if this is probably thing 200 per- to be a hit. I'm being nice. Yeah. Cause I, yeah, it probably is higher than that. And I, I kind of don't know if this is going to make more than $30 million. Maybe like I, I, I think $30 million box office is actually kind of, possibly overestimated domestically to be clear. So yeah, I, I'm a little, I'm nervous, I'm nervous, but uh, I'm going to, I'm going to let the the cards fall where they may. So.
1: I don't know. I mean, like I said, I mean, all we can really do is encourage people to see it if they, you know, I mean, I know we're still in a pandemic and stuff. So if you feel safe and inclined to do so, but I mean, chances are it's not like
0: there will be a lot of people in the theater. So (laughs) yeah, I don't know. But I mean, if you can certainly do see this film. Okay. Uh, I guess we can play the Rotten Tomatoes game then on that note. Okay. Uh, favorite are we game not to show. doing spoilers or are we... Well, if we do spoilers, we would, we would do the Rotten Tomatoes game first. Oh, yeah. That's right. Um, I guess it's up to us. Um, okay. So we have 130 reviews counted for the Northmen. And uh, so, Will, what do you think the Rotten Tomato score is at uh, this
1: At this present moment, I would have to
0: say 84%. Your guess is 84%. And I literally had to refresh because I had a feeling it's probably changing all the time because the reviews are still, like, a lot of them are being counted. And sure enough, the score just changed. (laughs) It went a point higher. Uh, It's at 89% okay, uh, out of 131 reviews now. It was 88 before? It was 88 before, yeah, out of 130. Uh, Obviously, no audience score yet. So, yeah, you're about five points off. You were closer. If only I hadn't hit refresh. (laughs) Um, less. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of browse some of the rotten reviews, um, you know, a few few people uh, that I know and I trust and I appreciate um, not. I shouldn't say a few. It was like literally like two or three people. Where I was like, oh, they didn't like it. OK. Um, but yeah. And then let's do the letterbox because we don't have the cinema score. Obviously, um, the folks in Vegas haven't even checked it out yet, probably. Uh, so that that's still being tabulated. But let's still uh,
1: mulling it over how they
0: feel about yeah. the film. However, on Letterboxd, we already, this thing's already at 21,000 watches. That's kind of shocking a little bit. Uh, apparently, a lot of people have seen this on Letterboxd that are probably uh, internationally, uh, which is, you know, encouraging. 21,000 is way more than films we've talked about before they've actually come out. Um, so that's, that's uh, encouraging, for sure. Uh, so, Will, what do you think the average Letterboxd rating is? 3.6. 4.1 wow, check that out. That's really good. So that kind of gives me the sense that like the people who are seeing this early and international, uh, you know, fans, uh, cinephiles and all them, they're they're rating it pretty highly. And I'm seeing that uh, also in terms of uh, the people I follow in Letterbox. Like, let's see, lowest score I'm seeing here is, I think, just three stars. Oh, no, that's not true. I saw a few lower down. <laughs> uh, I saw one person give it two and one person give it two and a half. Um one of those being somebody who gave it a rotten review on Rotten Tomatoes. So that tracks, I guess. Uh but yeah, I'm mostly seeing like fours and threes and a, three and a halves, um, handful of fives and four and a halfs. Um actually I should only say I think I only saw yeah, I saw three fives, one or two, four and a half. So yeah. Good stuff. Uh Kimber Myers, friend of the show, gave it four and a half. So happy to see she enjoyed the film quite a bit.
1: Yeah. Good old Kimber.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, um, you know, that's all we have for the the main part of this like bonus app. Is there anything you wanted to bring up that we can you know that are, that is spoilery about the movie? so if people haven't checked out the film which I imagine most people um you know they could bow out now if you wanted to talk about anything else. What do you think? so talk about spoilers now yeah, if you want to is there is, okay. if, is there something specific you wanted to bring up um and before you do, i yeah. will just say like all right listeners, <laughs> if you don't want to be spoiled and you're coming into this you know before the movies come out, you haven't seen it, uh, yeah, you might want to dip out, but we'll we'll see you on the next one, but uh okay, well, whatever what's up.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, something I find kind of fascinating about the film, and I wanted to talk to you about it, is this idea that, like, the whole film is centered around this guy who, like, his fate is basically dictated for him from, like, a pivotal point in his life where he becomes a man. There's, like, that ritual Mm -hmm. with Willem Dafoe where it's, like, this is your last tear, you know, and it's, like, this will be, like, used later. Like, his, like, life is laid out before him after this tragic uh, scene that happens uh thereafter but you know like as he progresses and goes about his journey like you said like there's a scene where he's like conflicted about like helping the villagers and stuff but it's like ultimately I have this thing I have to do it's my fate like to get to Valhalla I have to do this even if I have to like avoid this these terrible things that are happening but um when he meets up with Nicole Kidman's character his mom like he, he's like thrown for a curve because like basically everything that he once knew was maybe not a lie but like you know clearly not what he once thought. And he's like kind of thrown a back and he's with, uh, Anya Taylor-Joy's Olga at one point. And he's given the opportunity of like kind of avoiding what his fate was like living a happier life that he so choo- Like, you know, he, he, he's clearly already on the path of becoming this like father for, uh, you know, a new generation, kind of like avoiding the mistakes that his father once made. And he ultimately choose, chooses to still, uh, you know, go about, what his predestined fate was and there's this kind of complicated intriguing morality there where it's like he is his fate truly determined like is is there that like in it kind of lends that like spirituality of like you know is there like that supernatural pull where he has to do it because he has to honor himself like this like you know clear identity of uh, masculinity of like kind of living up to the true idea of like what a man is even down to like primal naked fight at the end or is he like just like it's just like a tragedy because he just cannot avoid what he feels like was destined because you know it is what he's known his whole life i just want to talk about that with you
0: i mean yeah you're literally just being like this is this is the that's the core of the movie isn't it and i think yeah we kind of danced around it but i think that's the thing that I appreciate about the brutality of his character being so immoral and doing these horrific things. And I think where I where I just personally think some people are missing the point of who he is and why we root for him. We don't root for him because like, I think if he did have this like burst of morality in terms of like, I don't I don't want to pillage. I don't want to. These are innocent people. It would make sense within the context of the character. The character, like you said, is ruled by this, like all he cares about is fate. He doesn't care about other people. He, he's, he is somebody who has gone through these horrific things and he is desensitized to it by his culture. His culture is very desensitized to violence. It's like sort of like the way of the world um, that he knows. And I think that like this movie is sort of about how he can sort of get outside of that. It's not like he is perfectly, at least my takeaway, he's not perfectly locked into this cycle of violence. But I think the movie is just sort of like, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy is how I take it away. It's like, it's not that fate, he has no choice. It's that he has a choice, but it's, it's dominated by him believing he doesn't have a choice. And that's a self, that's like the definition of self-fulfilling prophecy. I took it as Edgar sort of saying like these things happen. And then these people, like he's masculinity comes down to choices And, you know, we tell ourselves that there's no other way we have to do these things because of honor and all of these intangible things that are supernatural and mythic and they're not real. Um, And that's what ultimately leads to the downfall of of a person who believes that they have to go down this road. So I think that's where the movie certainly, for me, uh, comes together and actually says something kind of profound um, to Mm -hmm. an extent.
1: Yeah, I just I mean, I just bring that up because I feel like people have this. Like you said, like, the critics of the film or the people who are going against it are kind of like, oh, it's just, like, simple by numbers revenge story. And I feel like if they had only watched maybe, like, the first half of it, I could understand that. And, like, maybe if they just only, like, catch the end of it and just, like, I've choose to avoid or just, like, ignore the, the more complex parts of the story that Edgar's is clearly putting in there. Uh, I don't know. I just feel like the movie is a lot deeper than some p- folks are giving credit not that like this is like super complex or anything but you know it, it is i think like you said m- deeper and more profound than some folks are initially giving it credit and i just think that that's what really to me transcends the film from being like not just like a really good film but like truly like on par with what we've seen from eggers thus far so that's why I feel like the, the last half of it actually really stands out more than the first half. Though I can see why you're, you find the first half to be a little bit more like
0: electrifying in that well, respect. And it's more in terms of like the action beats and everything like that. And it was like I was saying before, it's like, it is a straightforward plot. The idea, like the idea of him getting out of like, uh, you know, carrying out his revenge, finally doing it. Like, I think all of that is what's straightforward. But I said this before, I think the way that Eggers does it and tells that part of the story is what is dazzling and profound. And then I do, I do think that there are probably a lot of people watching this who watch it for the first time. I'm talking about critics here who, and you know, people in the audience too, uh, you know, casual moviegoers. I think might just be so enamored or so like taken by the action and the spectacle of it that they might miss some of those things. I missed a lot of stuff. I think, you know, like there were, th- there were things that I wasn't fully sure about or confident. And when I was watching the movie, because I was like, I could barely hear some of like what was actually being said. So, I, I do think this could be one of those slow burn movies, you know. Like maybe uh, down the road, people will be like, "I, you know what?" Actually, like the second or third time I watched this movie, there were certain things that like popped out that I might have missed. Like I could totally see this being that kind of movie where people who are like, "Yeah, you know, I thought it was like a B B minus," you know, eventually being like, "Actually, no, you know what? This is like a A A minus kind of movie." So um, that's my takeaway.
1: Absolutely, yeah, and um, yeah, I just imagine it will be, you know a rewarding visit later down the road. I don't know if I'll get a chance to see it again in theaters, but certainly it's one I want to go back to uh, in the same way that I would like to someday revisit the witch and the lighthouse for similar reasons. So um, yeah, just, I think Eggers is on the right path, man. I think he's doing some really cool stuff right now. And I, I applaud it wholeheartedly
0: since we're we're in the spoiler section. I got to ask you, Will. got to ask you. OK, well, what was the reaction of your your audience when Nicole Kidman kissed Alexander Skarsgård? Uh, nothing like audible. Oh, my kinda, entire audience. Everybody was like, oh, like it was such a reaction. Yeah. Uh,
1: I mean, you know, I was with critics, so I don't know. Like, uh, I, I'm not sure if you saw it with critics or general audiences.
0: Critics were probably just like,
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just you could definitely see like people like I mean listeners won't be able to see this, but for your sake, like, they were just kind of just like, whoa, like, Uh, uh, hmm. I I mean, it's just funny to me that like, you know, uh, Nicole Kidman and Alexander Sarasgaard, they play like uh, partners, husband and in, wife, uh, yeah, in a uh, Big low Lies, and it's like, oh, it seems kind of reductive for the Cole Kidman to play, you know, just his mother in this film.
0: Well, I was talking uh, to somebody, it, it's like, oh, oh. Well, I was talking to somebody about how like she doesn't really age in the film, right? And there's something to be said about how like the characters in this are like dirty and like they are very like ragged and everything, mm-hmm. but two of the main women in the film, Anna Taylor Joy, and Nicole Kidman, aren't. Mm-hmm. They're idealized, and yeah. I think I think Eggers. I, I take it as like, we're seeing how he sees them. Um so him right. seeing his mother, you know, not as who she really is, but like a version yeah. of her. That's still the mother that he remembers. And then same thing with Anya Taylor joy being a character who looks a lot like his mother. And so, yeah, I think all the Oedipus complex stuff is oh, absolutely yeah, no. uh, part of what Eggers is trying to get across with like the, the downfall and the tragedy of this man.
1: Yes, uh, definitely. I mean, certainly like, yeah, I, I like that. Like when you watch the film first, like oh, this is real Hamlet thing, and then it's like oh, this is like an Oedipus Rex thing going on here. This, yeah, is- yeah, yeah. Um, that's me where I'm like, I'm just really like I like the movie a lot in the beginning. That's where I'm like locked in. I'm like, all right, yes. Because before that, I'm kind of like, like Nicole Kidman's like doing a pretty good job here but it seems kind of beneath her to do this type of role but then she gets those scenes and it's like oh I see why you got Nicole Kidman for this movie like
0: right. there we go that's what I'm talking about because because you, uh, and I'm sure a lot of people will see it coming too I certainly was like okay we're going to get to a point where th- she was in on it you know because like there's no way <laughs> or at the very least even if she wasn't in on it you just get the impression that she's happy with this new you know I was saying like oh maybe it'll be this kind of thing where like she still loves her son but uh, you know her her eldest son, but it's just sort of like, yeah, you know what? I actually prefer the the uncle, you know, I, I missed that part of that scene in the Lion King. Um, but yeah, I, I certainly was, uh, I, I certainly like when that moment happened, I was like, oh, wow, like Eggers is actually taking this a bit farther than I gave him credit for, which I, I really appreciated.
1: Yeah. And I think, he, you know, he's really good about doing that in general. And I certainly love that about The Lighthouse in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I really hope that continues to be a trend throughout the rest of his career. But yeah, I mean, that's just me I kind of going against what you're saying before. I feel like some people because I have heard people say like, oh, like the second half kind of lags a bit, doesn't quite come together as well. And to me, I think the second half really com- completes the film and complements it in a really
0: uh, meaningful way. So yeah. Yeah, I, I'm I think it's just missing a really yeah. good set piece. That's the only it's, it's like if you start with like and I guess it doesn't start with that pillaging set piece. But like, ah, you got to top it at least once in the second half. And it just never does. I mean, I guess some people will say that final like volcano sequence does, but I didn't think it did. I thought it was good. It was, okay. it was cool. It was primal and everything. But I don't know. I think like some of the actual actual. Uh, the actual action filmmaking that happens uh, in that pillaging scene is so incredibly well done. It's like The Revenant again, where it's like you start yeah. with something like that. I don't know. You, you. It's like you're giving a promise to the people in the audience that you're going to that this is what that movie is. But then you just sort of like you do a lot of really good character work after that. You have some sort of like minor set pieces, but I, I think that uh, yeah, it's just it's tough on a first time watch because it's like you're kind of getting geared up and then you're like let down. So I sympathize with people who are Um, a little bit disappointed.
1: Yeah, I mean, you bring uh, one of my complaints I was going to bring up uh, earlier that since you bring up like the pillaging scene, which is a, you know, badass scene, really impressive, you know, single take shot, you know, just truly, you know, visceral, good filmmaking. But my only real complaint with that scene, some of the action beats in this that because I think Eggers isn't, uh, you know, an action director, I kind of feel like there are a lot of beats and those things where it's kind of like okay i step here and hit the guy like that it, c- it can feel a little bit like ritualistic at times in a way it took me a little bit out of it that was one of my few complaints with the oh film. really
0: i didn't i didn't have that same uh take i i, I didn't see it that way personally i thought okay. it was pretty well timed it's but,
1: it's okay. only in the i, I no, it is well timed but just like some of the ways that they move i can just kind of feel like i feel like i see the blocking of it in a way it doesn't feel as natural to me
0: no, and maybe it's me
1: kind of grinning I don't know. And it didn't like kill the movie at all for me. I still love that scene. I think that it's a great action scene, but I can just kind of feel like the blocking, the staging of it a little bit because it's so ritual based. I can feel like
0: they're like, okay, we have to do this for like
1: the 13th time. I do this, I go to that guy. Yeah. You know,
0: I guess I, I took it a different way. I think I just took it as like, he's so good at this. He's so like used to this. I took it as like, he is just meticulous and just able to predict everything that happens. So yeah, I guess I just had a totally different, you know, <laughs> um, experience I with mean, it. But yeah, not yeah. So, I think that, yeah, what you're saying is super valid. Sure. I mean, I still love the film. I love that scene. I just, I mean, that was just one of my minor complaints with the film. I like the way that Ethan Hawke dies is not epic. That to me is a really I good mean, move starts
1: kind of epic like he gets the arrow in him and he like pulls out the knife of, like it's nothing
0: it's like you're at a distance when he's trying to defend himself right. and it's just it's such an unceremonious end but that's part of the, what's galling yeah. about it they mm-hmm. don't do something like you know with Mufasa where he gets to have like his heroic moment you know where he gets to do something kind of like look how great he was you don't get any sense that he was ever great he's kind of like a weak feeble person and that sure. only lends to sort of like the futility of what his son is trying mm-hmm. to avenge the entire movie I, yeah. I think it's kind of brilliant actually
1: oh yeah i mean yeah he just kind of a kind of a weeb like you know or a dweeb i mean sorry uh a dweeb. And, and, and
0: it's not even his fault right because like he's he's never he doesn't even get the chance to sort of have his like sword fight you know he just gets arrowed down and then the guy comes up and beheads it like there's no sort of like honor to it at all but it's mm-hmm. sort of like of course there isn't like his uncle's in it to win it he's not gonna you know Mm-hmm. but it is interesting, it's not doing the i guess uh, the, it's kind of like doing the Game of Thrones thing to an extent where Game of Thrones like sure. to undercut epic stuff like that until it didn't, mm-hmm. but yeah, in the early seasons, like when it was actually about something, um yeah, I think that that that's that can be very satisfying in how it's unsatisfying,
1: sure I mean, I will say I mean, I'm not the biggest Game of Thrones fan, certainly, but I do appreciate that a show like Game of Thrones being as successful as it is certainly paid the way for a movie like the Northmen, getting greenlit and made. So have to give credit where it is due.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I think I read uh, that uh, Eggers wanted to make this movie around that time uh, when oh really? Game of Thrones was like coming out. So,
1: Oh, uh, and I was gonna say, as far as the action beats, I think that's why I found the, like I forget the game, but whatever it's called, like where they're like hitting each other with the bats and stuff. The game where I they're hitting found- each other you're gonna have you to know, like with the ball baseball like where, no like you know what you know what i mean like where they're like they're doing the game like midway through the movie where it's
0: like oh in the movie i thought yeah. you were talking about like a video game in our no. life i was like what are you talking yeah yeah yeah. that that, that yeah.
1: yeah i think that scene actually kind of impressed me a little bit more That's than cool. the the uh pillaging scene because I, I felt like that stuff that I was talking about before wasn't as apparent there and it felt more visceral to me. It was
0: a fun like sports minigame. <laughs>
1: yeah. You know, it felt, I don't know just like that's like probably the most violent scene in the film and I also felt like you could feel like each hit and stuff like I was really taken yeah, by that Yeah yeah it was brutal. Yeah. Yeah,
0: brutal is the word for this movie. That's for sure. Um, good movie. I think obviously, yeah, we both stand behind it and recommend people check it out. Of course, if you're listening at this point, you probably have seen it and are, are listening to our thoughts on it. uh but sure. Hey, maybe take a chance to recommend it. Uh, obviously, it's not going to be for everybody, but I do think it is. uh it, I, I agree with you, Will. I think it has an audience. I think there are a bunch of people out here who gave it. If they gave it a chance, they would be super into it. You know, but. Mm. It's it's just hard to market movies like this these days. Um, if it's not like a, a Netflix original that you can just sort of like pop on immediately, people are just sort of like, whatever. Um, yeah. That's well, why we're here.
1: Yeah, I mean, like you said, like what we were saying earlier, where it's like when people compare it to something like Gladiator, like it doesn't really fit for me, but I don't like shug it off because it's like, okay, that might sell it to somebody. Yeah,
0: if that gets somebody in the theater, let's right. lie. Oh, that's you true. know what I mean? <laughs> not lie, but because it's, it's not
1: like Totally. Fall- it's like a sort of I don't want to set people comparison. with the wrong
0: expectations.
1: I guess so. You know? I mean, I just feel like, I don't know. I would hope that, like, the, like, mysticism and stuff that we're talking about surprises them. But I could see yeah. what you mean where it's like that kind of turns them off. It's like, what is this? Like, I don't
0: yeah because what, because we should be clear. I mean, Gladiator is a very Americanized movie. It is very like Ridley Scott clearly mm-hmm. like there's a reason that movie has a lot of iconic dialogue, right sure. and this is, this is not that kind of movie. This is well, not you know geared towards some sort of yeah
1: I mean it's like I don't know have you, I haven't watched The Witcher, but is isn't there like magic stuff in that yeah, yeah, there is. could you say it's like the Witcher or whatever would that get people to see it
0: no. No, okay. I think Witcher is so much more based on like like the magic is so heightened and it's it's a, it's much more lighthearted. Yeah, I I wouldn't compare this. I would compare this much closer to Game of Thrones than I would the Witcher 100 percent. And I think Fair. I have seen people say that it's it's of a piece with the Vikings show, which I haven't seen. So I can't say that with confidence. But yeah,
1: yeah, I haven't I haven't watched that either. I haven't watched the Witcher and I've only seen one season of Game of Thrones. I'm just trying to figure out the best way to get people to be enticed to see the film.
0: Same here. Yeah, it's tough. The Revenant. Would you like The Revenant? <laughs> that might not work. Um, okay. Well, that'll do it for our show. Um, our little spoiler section here. Thanks again, as always, for listening. Uh, this coming weekend, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, at least two movies. The, the two we have in the docket are The Bad Guys, new DreamWorks animated film we mentioned last week. And then uh, we'll hopefully also be able to talk oh, about quick. The Unbearable Weight of Mass of Talent, the, the uh, movie with Nick Cage, being Nick Cage, which I already saw uh, yesterday. So, yeah. Or Monday.
1: Uh, I was going to say... The bad guys, the cinemaholic story, and then <laughs> the unbearable weight of massive talent, the John the, the story. story. Oh, ah uh, <laughs> <was>, oh,
0: Ain't <laughs> that you, sweet. We're too nice to each other, aren't we? Um okay, but we'll be back. Uh, and then uh, yeah until then you can find us on the socials and everything like that and uh show notes have all the details if you'd like to support us and donate to us really happy to see the rrr episode doing super well um so thanks to everybody who gave that episode a chance and listened to it yeah and, uh, that, you know. that's really cool because you know yeah speaking of movies we want people to actually go watch in the theater uh and oh, support dude. you know the northman the RRR. Feature. yeah yeah everything, five hours at the once. that's still playing yeah. Yeah.
1: The, yeah. Nine hours at the movie, then. Screw
0: yeah. it. You have, a lot of, you have a lot of time on your hands. We got good news for you. So, all right, we'll see y'all later.